0: His name is so worthy of our praise and our adoration, and he is certainly worthy of our full attention right now as we dive into his word. It's so good to see you all out this morning. It's good to see some returning faces, not just you who are new to MCC. We welcome you back every week, and we're so glad that you've chosen this place to come and to be with us in worship but those wives that have been gone sick from their husbands and widows who've been in texas and in florida who are back it's just great it's great to see all of you here you know it's an intimidating day and some of you young parents like travis down front here can relate to this but you remember that day i remember it 18 years ago for my oldest now When you're checking your wife and your newborn baby out of the hospital, and used to be they would take the the little mean nurse that you had on the floor, she would take the husband downstairs with the car seat, and they would make you put it in the car, take it out of the car, put it back in, take it out just to be sure that you had it fastened in there correctly. But it's such an intimidating day, that first time that you place that newborn baby in that car seat to drive them out into this big, scary world on your way home. But that day pales in comparison to the day that comes 16 years later when you hand the keys to the car (laughs) to that child sitting next to you and they move from the passenger seat to the driver's seat. You know, that's what I want to talk with you about this weekend is what that looks like in our relationship, your relationship with God. That moment, that moment that comes in your life when you decide that you are going to move from the driver's seat yourself into the passenger seat, and you're gonna quit letting God be the co-pilot, but the pilot of your life. That's an intimidating day. When you say, God, here are the keys, and I want you to drive. If you brought your Bible with you, we're gonna look at an account in Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19 of an individual who came to that deciding moment in their life, that frightening moment, if you will, when they dared to hand God, Jesus Christ, the keys and say, you drive. Now, while you're finding your place there, please join me in welcoming three families who set down their roots deep here at MCC last weekend. First, all the way in the back, Ken and Natalie Montoya. Let's welcome them and their family. Welcome home, guys. Young Claire, I don't know if Claire's in the room or not, but her and her fiance are probably serving in the loft. I met with them earlier, but we welcome Claire home as she placed her membership here right before she gets married to Colin in the next couple of months, and they begin serving here together. Let's welcome home Claire. (laughs) And certainly, Sean and Gretchen Mitchell, Sean and Gretchen are right always over here on your right, and we welcome them home to MCC, please. Well, read with me, beginning in Luke chapter 19, which, by the way, this was in day two or three of your reading. If you're reading along with us through the Bible this year from cover to cover using your app or using your hardback Bible, which I encourage you to do, you came across this account in your regular reading, I think on Tuesday or Wednesday. Luke chapter 19, beginning in verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. Now, from this moment forward, as we listen here, I, I want you to listen to this scripture. I know some of you are familiar with it, some of you are already singing the song in your mind. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he, right? He climbed up in a sycamore fig- fig- tree. I, I want you to get past that for a minute. And, and I want you to think, and I want your pen to do the talking as you underline some of this text. I want you to think about Zacchaeus' experience and, and I want you to put your life into this story this morning. This real life account. And I want you to think about your moment when your life intersected with Jesus Christ and see if some of this isn't familiar to you today. A man was there, verse two says, by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector. Not just a tax collector. He was a chief tax collector and he was wealthy. He wanted to see. He wanted to see who Jesus was. But because he was short he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and he climbed a sycamore fig tree to see Jesus since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must, I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed Jesus gladly. All the people saw this. They began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and he said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now, I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too, this man also, this man too is a son of Abraham for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost." Let's bow our heads together and let's dive in. Father, it is such a life-changing experience to be in your word, not just today, but every day, reading, listening to you, whether we're doing this individually in our home, on our way to work, with friends in a Bible study or small group, but to apply your teaching to our thinking, our decisions, Our relationships, it's freeing. But at the same time, Father, it's challenging. And so today, as we look at the subject that is foundational in our relationship with you and the application of your word to our life, our willingness to surrender control, to let you drive our life, we thank you for the examples that you give us in your word of real human beings who have fully surrendered to you. This gives me hope, and it gives us hope that we can do the same. And so may we trust you more as we hear you speak to us now. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray and that we live and move and breathe and certainly have our understanding. Amen. Every life, every life, your life, my life, your children's life, your parents, your grandparents' life, every life is driven by something or some. One. The question is, is what or who drives your life? Now, most dictionaries define the verb drive this way as to control, to guide, to direct, whether it's a car, whether it's a nail whether it's a project, a relationship, or a golf ball, if you are driving, you are the one who's guiding. If you are driving, you are the one who's controlling. If you are driving, you're the one directing it at that moment. And so right now, I want you to think about this reality. At this very moment, your life right now is very likely being driven by one or more circumstances, one or more values one or more emotions. And there are hundreds of these things that can drive our life at any given moment, but here are a few of the most common. Many people, many people today are driven by the desire to acquire. Anybody here driven by more, right? If I could just have this, then I would experience this. This. And it's not just materialism, right? It's not just more money. It's things like more time. It's things like more love. It's more things like self-respect. But the problem is, is that when we're driven by the desire to acquire, we find only temporary satisfaction because eventually we want what? We want more. We want more. Zacchaeus was driven by the desire to acquire. Verse 2 explains that not only was Zacchaeus a tax collector, but he was the what? He was the chief tax collector, and he was very wealthy. Now, those two things don't just happen by accident. They happen through desire. desire for more. At some point in his life, he discovered what? He discovered that he was good with numbers. And instead of using that gift in his community, instead of using that gift to simply provide for his family and for himself in some way to, to honor God, instead he sought, he sought to be the most lucrative way to use those numbers, which was to sell himself out to the Roman government to distance himself from all that he knew to be right. And you say, being a government employee isn't bad. No, it's not at all. It's not at all unless that government is taking advantage of its people. And you are placing yourself not just in a position like that of being a tax collector to collect the taxes from the neighborhood, but when the neighborhood isn't enough and you want to collect taxes for the entire region or the providence. And you see, it's not just the collecting of taxes. It's the reality that to be a Roman tax collector meant what? It meant that you took, you collected what was due to the government, but you could decide what your commission was going to be. And instead of a set rate, it was whatever you wanted it to be. I go collect my taxes, or Caesar's taxes, from Brandon, and I'm like, hey, Brandon, you look like you did pretty good this month. That's going to be an extra 150 bucks, but that's not for Caesar. That's for me. You can just drop it right here. And that was Zacchaeus. That was his desire to acquire. And not only did he surrender his morals... But this continued to drive his life. It drove his career until he was at the top. You see, the most common myth about this desire to acquire, about acquiring more, is that having more will make us more secure. But it doesn't. Proverbs 13, 8 says, Being kidnapped and held for ransom never worries the poor man. I want you to let that sink in for just a minute. But isn't it true that the more you have, the more that you are concerned about how to care for, how to take care of, how to use, how to sustain? So let me ask you, what's driving your life right now? Is your happiness depending on, dependent on something that you hope to have more of tomorrow? Because if that's the case, you might be driven, driven by the desire to acquire And while many are driven by that desire, others are driven by the need for approval. The need for approval or fear of not meeting expectations. One and the same, but there are some differences. Many adults today are trying to earn, still trying to earn, the approval of unpleasable parents. You know who you are? Because you're constantly looking to see if mom and dad, even though you're 60 years old, or satisfied or pleased with what you're doing. And that has been passed down to now your children feel the same way towards you. Others are driven by peer pressure, always worried about others, what others think. If you're driven by peer pressure, you recognize this, the absurdity of it, that we allow the expectations of people that we don't even want to be like to control the way that we act, dress, speak, walk, make choices... Sometimes the need for approval is driven by fear. The fear that we won't meet expectations. Fear that's the result of sometimes a traumatic experience that you've had in your life. The unfortunate thing is those who seek the approval of the crowd usually get lost in it. And that was the case for Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was certainly lost in the crowd that day. Maybe not because of his need for approval necessarily, even though I would say that was probably part of it, but by buying into the world's description of success. Verse three says, he couldn't see Jesus because of the crowd around him. Is anyone struggling that way today? Is anyone in this room missing out on Jesus because of the crowd around you The crowd that you so want to be accepted into by being controlled by the opinion of others. Being controlled by the opinion of others is a guaranteed way to miss out on God's plan and purpose for your life. Jesus said, no one, and you're not the exception, no one can serve two masters. What's your crowd look like let me be a little more specific. What's keeping some of you from midweek on Wednesday nights? Oh, midweek doesn't count. It's not in the Bible, right? We're at the gathering on the weekend. That doesn't count. But what's keeping you from midweek? What crowd has your attention to the point where you can't be here to encourage one another and to grow in the understanding of Scripture? We have a completely different series on Wednesday nights It's a great time to sit down and eat dinner with your family, if not once out of the week, <laughs> to sit down and do the things that God's got in mind for you to do. What crowd's keeping you from... What crowd is keeping you young adults from your Sunday night group? What crowd right now has is keeping you from, from being in God's word every? day this new reading plan it was intimidating at first because we're not just reading excerpts we're reading the bible every page right from cover to cover but the order is fantastic right little new testament reading little old testament reading book of psalms mixed in there and what looked like it was going to take 45 minutes is 20 minutes max if you're worried about time most of your commutes are twice that In the day, you can get two days done at once if you're driving, just don't close your eyes. (laughs) What crowd is keeping you from peace? What crowd's keeping you from salvation? What crowd's keeping you right now from Jesus Christ? Guess who's coming to dinner? I don't know what we had, but we had a large number of you sign up to be. Part of guess who's coming to dinner this past Friday night was the kickoff. And I saw pictures from your groups. And at 2 o'clock in the morning, you guys looked awful happy. You guys just kept going. Well, it seemed like 2 o'clock to me. But 9.30? 30? man, it ran late that night. But on a snow-covered, single-degree-digit night, how many of you stayed in because of a little bit of cold weather and you missed out on that? What crowd has keeping you from seeing who Jesus is. Maybe you're older now and pleasing the people around you isn't what drives your life. But resentment and anger do. Resentment and anger. Ever heard the expression rehearse it and nurse it? I've shared with you before my relationship with a pastor. A pastor whose whose, um, anger and resentment drove his passion. His passion was so respectable. His delivery was... Fantastic. But his perspective on ministry was soured because of the terrible tragedies that he experienced in his life. And he just rehearsed them and nursed them over and over and over again. Ephesians 4.31 says, get rid of all of that. Get rid of bitterness and rage and anger. Along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgive each other just as Christ God forgave You, people like Zacchaeus, who are driven by the desire to acquire the need for approval, become resentful and angry when circumstances don't produce what it is that they're looking for. When the things that drive your life are suddenly taken from you. And resentment and anger can leave us feeling very much alone in the crowd. There's also just plain old guilt. Some some are driven by guilt, manipulated by memories. When we're driven by guilt, that means that we allow our past. We allow our past to control our future. We unconsciously punish ourselves. We sabotage our own success. When Cain sinned in Genesis chapter 4 and killed his brother Abel, remember what God said to him? Is this punishment? You'll be a restless wanderer on the earth. Doesn't that describe many today who are driven by guilt, guilt of the past, restless, wandering? While we're products of our past, my friends, we don't have to be prisoners of it. God's purpose in our life isn't limited by our past. He's the one who turned a murderer named Moses (laughs) into a leader, a coward by the name of Gideon, into a mighty warrior. Psalm 1 says, blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him. I, I love one translation that reads this way. What relief for those who have confessed their sins, who've let go of their past, And God has cleared the record. Anybody in here whose record has been cleared? Don't let it keep coming back up and driving your life. Zacchaeus has what the world would declare as everything. He has position. He has wealth. And those of us who have had both, we realize one thing, though, and that is that neither one fell us. Neither one are sustainable, and both can leave us in the center of a crowd or so isolated that we can't see Jesus, but there's hope for Zacchaeus, and there's hope for us. Verse 4 says that he wanted to see who Jesus was. I want to pause here for just a minute because forever I read this as he wanted to see Jesus, and it makes sense. He was short. There's no place that a short person wants to be less than in a crowd, Right? You can't see a thing. And I always thought he just wanted to see Jesus, but it says something more. It says that he wanted to see who Jesus was. He wanted to know him. Why? Because he had heard something about him. Had he witnessed something that someone else had that he didn't, and Jesus was it? He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, Scripture says he could not because of the crowd. Now, I'm a literalist. And I realize that shortness had a whole lot to do with this. But I also realize that there's a spiritual dimension to this too. And that is whatever it is that has brought you to Jesus, no matter what has driven your life in the past, please hear me, no matter what it is, whether it's the desire to acquire, whether it was guilt, maybe it was some God-awful thing that happened to you at the hands of someone else that you had no control over. It was no sin of yours, but it was a sin of theirs that has continued, that has continued to isolate you and to put you in the place where you don't feel like you can see Jesus. Whatever it is that has brought you to Jesus, you need to know that Jesus is right in the middle of it to see you. Whatever it is that you've allowed to be driving your life, And no matter how hidden you might feel in the middle of the crowd, you find yourself in. No matter how hidden, good or bad, nothing can hide you from him because he sees you. And in verse 4, that's exactly the way we see this play out. Zacchaeus runs ahead. He shimmies up a tree just as Jesus is passing by. Jesus looks up. You know the story. He calls Zacchaeus by name. But I'm telling you, Jesus would have called Zacchaeus by name even if Zacchaeus hadn't climbed the tree. How do I know that? Well, I know that because of another experience that Luke writes about. The day that Jesus chose to go through Samaria and he stopped at the well in Sychar. Do you remember that? And a Samaritan woman came out in the middle of the day to fill her bucket and Jesus was right there to meet her where she was at. She said that Jesus knew everything about her. She told the whole town about it. Many people were saved. Jesus was intentional about being at that well that day, just as he had come into town this day to see who to see Zacchaeus, just like Elijah in the desert, hiding under a broom tree, wanting to die in the old Testament. Who was it that sought out Elijah? God did. He sent an angel that day and he said, the journey's too much for you. Get up, eat some bread, take some rest. Just as Mary Magdalene stood outside of the empty tomb that morning on the day of Jesus' resurrection, Jesus Christ came for her and he called her by name. Mary, who are you looking for? Zacchaeus didn't have to climb a tree to see who Jesus was. Jesus had come that day to show him who he is. And Jesus speaks to Zacchaeus. He calls her by name. And notice what he says in verse 5. Zacchaeus Come down when you feel like it. Come down when somebody rolls over a lift, you know, so that you can climb onto the lift and get down safely. Zacchaeus, once you're ready, you know, go wash your hands. Go get your face cleaned up a little bit. Put on some reasonable clothes, all right? Get rid of the piercing, Zacchaeus. Cover up that tattoo. No. He says, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. Come down right now, come down right now, and the next is even more revealing, for I must stay at your house today. Now we have an attorney in the room, and I I hate to mention his name because attorneys have a bad rap. And so far, this guy has proven himself pretty genuine. In fact, he even preaches on the side. Imagine the two together, he must be a special man. But he will tell you something that I learned back a long time ago when I worked for the government. There's a few of you government employees in here. And one of the regulations that you have in government uses a word called shall. Shall. And when you read in the regulations, when it says you shall, it leaves no room for interpretation. Shall means shall. It means there's no discussing it. It doesn't mean maybe. It doesn't mean sometimes. It doesn't mean when circumstances are this or that. It just says you shall, you will, you must. Jesus said, I must stay at your house today. Now, from the outside, it looks as if Jesus just wants to come and hang with Zach. I mean, after all, he had the largest TV on the block, he had the best food. He even had people there to clean your feet for you and to help put the recliner back. But Jesus doesn't want to stay. He doesn't want to visit. It says he must stay. And there are several important things that take place at Zach's house that I want you to note in your life. Beginning in verse 6. It says Zacchaeus came down at once and welcomed him gladly. The one thing that God asks of us is that you welcome him. He doesn't want you to invite him to visit in your heart. He wants you to say yes to his invitation. When he says, come down here, when he says, come to me, that's not your invitation to invite him and say, hey, I want you to come live in my heart. I want you to be my little genie. I want you to do things my way. I want you to fit in this room that I've prepared for you No. No, Jesus is the one who does the inviting. We do the responding. We do the welcoming. And Zacchaeus welcomed Jesus gladly. He didn't deny him. And some of us are denying him. We're denying him right now in our mind when we're saying, I'm not hearing this today. I am just fine the way that I am. Verse 7 says that those who were watching all of this happen said, look. Jesus has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Listen, that's not just directed to Jesus. You've been in a crowd like that, haven't you? Their comments were as much for Zacchaeus as they were for Jesus. They were reminding Zacchaeus of just how low he was. Zacchaeus already knew this about himself. Just like you and I, we already know what's been driving our life. and We don't need anyone else to remind us or point it out to us. But remember, verse 3 says that this is what Zacchaeus was looking for in Jesus. He wanted to see who Jesus was. And that day, notice that their words did not stop Zacchaeus and they did not stop Jesus. Jesus isn't driven by what other people think. And he's not driven simply by wanting more in order to satisfy himself. In fact, Zacchaeus discovered what Jesus said of himself in Mark 10, 45, when Jesus said, for the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And that's when it clicked with Zacchaeus. (laughs) I've allowed my life to be driven by everything and everyone, when the one who loves me most, (laughs) Is waiting for me to hand him the keys. Verse 8, Zach starts unloading. Look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay back four times the amount. Jesus, you hear what he's saying? I know we think what you hear what he's saying, and I think you're right. But look a little deeper. Jesus, what do I have to do to buy this? Have you ever thought about that perspective? I mean, isn't that what he's used to? Isn't that what the desire to acquire teaches us? Jesus, what do I have to do to buy this? What do I have to do to please you, right? I I have to collect more in order to please the Roman government. I, I have to buy the things that have made me happy in life, more friends, more whatever it is, I'll pay it. I'll make it right. But here Jesus' response, not only Zacchaeus, but to all who were watching. Jesus doesn't just look at Zacchaeus, he looks at the crowd. Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save what was lost. Now don't get caught up on that son of Abraham stuff. I could explain that if we took about 15 minutes and we go back to the Old Testament, we talk about who father Abraham is and how that Abraham was the leader of the chosen nation. And that's who Jesus came for first was to save those who were part of the house of Israel. But let me paraphrase this. There is no more of a lost person in the Jewish mind than a tax collector. There's no more of a lost person in the Jewish person's mind than a tax collector. But that's not the way Jesus saw Zacchaeus. And it's not the way Jesus sees you. Jesus saw Zacchaeus as a son. He saw Zacchaeus as one of his created. One of the lost sheep of Israel for which Jesus came to save And to bring home. Just as Jesus came that way to the Samaritan at the well to bring her home, the least in her community. Just as Jesus came for you and for me. Salvation came to Zacchaeus. What does that mean? It means that Jesus came looking for Zacchaeus and Zacchaeus handed him the keys and said, You drive. I've been driving way too long. I'm no longer in charge, and you are. And the reality is, the reality is for every one of us that there is no other way for a human to come to God that does not involve surrender. There's no other way. There is no other way for a human to come to God that does not involve surrender. Jesus himself said. Jesus said, whoever finds their life, will what? Will lose it. They'll surrender it. But whoever surrenders their life for my sake, will what? They will find it. I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. No one enters into this. Except through Me, There is no other way for a human to come to God that does not involve surrender. What season right now of your life has brought you to the point, whether it's 16 years later, whether it's 80 years later, when you realize that it's time for God to move from the passenger seat, let alone the car seat in the back, to the driver's seat of your life. It begins with surrendering the keys. One of our college students, last name Owens, you'll recognize that name. It started with her brother Logan four years earlier who went off to college this past year. It was Lily's turn to go off to college and her first semester was a typical first semester. When you leave all of this and you go to a school where people are driven by everything but God. The desire to acquire. I've got to get this degree. I've got to get these grades. I've got to put in this time on the team. Because if I don't, well, that's going to jeopardize this. If I don't do this, it's going to jeopardize this. I've got to make new friends. I can't, can't, can't just rely on my friends back at home. One thing after another, driving her life, and let me tell you, by her own words, she was miserable. And if I was her daddy, I would have gotten her and swooped her up and brought her home, which isn't the right answer either. <laughs> but I want you to listen to the testimony her testimony, her words. I heard about it this week and I sent word and I said, just please, right now, I just want you to put it on your phone. I don't want you to edit it. I don't want you to think about it. I just want you to describe what's going on in your life in this season and what the difference is. Watch this with me.
1: Hi, church family. It's Lily. I wanted to um, send you my love all the way um, from college. I miss being home a lot. I just really want to share something with you guys um, that God has been doing in my life since starting semester two of college. Last semester, it was really, really grueling. I felt like I couldn't feel God. I wasn't in tune with what he wanted me to do, with what he was saying to me. I kept crying out, God, where are you? Where are you in this story? Where are you in this valley, you know? I couldn't feel him. And it led me to a source of stress. And anxiety. This semester it hasn't been like that. I have been serving at a church. Um, I've been serving every weekend um, and it, it brings me so much joy to tell others the joy of Jesus Christ. I got to help them with their grand opening of their students, Mercy students. It was huge. There are so many kids, almost all of the seats were full. I got to watch them experience the joy of Jesus for the first time. I finally feel like I'm fulfilling what God is calling me to do. He's calling me to serve. He's calling me to be engaged and that's what I'm doing. I don't have to wake up anymore and be like, God are you here? Are you there? like I can't feel him like you know I couldn't feel him last semester. it made me sad. No, this semester I can feel him and he is meeting me right where I am at every step. And so I just want to encourage you guys, stay the course. Don't give up, keep fighting because God is doing something crazy in our lives. Thank you.
0: (laughs) She's probably watching right now and I just wanna say to Lily, God bless you Lily and you keep going and I am so excited for you. I'm so excited for you, not that you're happy Not that everything's easy now, but I'm happy for you that you handed him the keys. And you said as a young lady who's got so much pressure, you drive, you take the wheel, I trust you. And she's found peace. She's found purpose. The Bible tells us this. Ephesians 1:11 says it's in Christ we find out who we are and what we're living for. Long before we first heard of Christ and got our hopes up, he had his eye on us. He sees you in the crowd. It's not just your stature that has it difficult for you to see what's going on around you. It's what you're allowing to drive your life, my friends, that has you feeling so isolated and alone. And you don't have to climb a tree in order to see Jesus because Jesus Christ did the climbing when he got up on that tree so that you can see him and know him, that he would give it all in order for you to experience it all in him. That's what Zacchaeus found that day. And it changed the trajectory of his life. When he let Jesus Christ stay, will you do the same? Stand with me and let's pray. Father, today we stand in your presence. Some father, some father feeling like they do physically sometimes. They can't see for the person in front of them. But Father, I thank you that we are seen by you. And today, God, we speak the reality of Jesus Christ over every thought that we have. We speak him over our every decision. We speak him over every aspect of our life. We want you. We want him to drive it all. And the truth is, we can't. We're always taking detours. We're always putting ourselves at great risk. And we've even risked the lives of the people that we have strapped in our backseat with us because of our desire for control. And so today, God, we surrender it back to you the one who sees us in the crowd, the one who calls us by name, the one we can trust with it all. So receive our praise, receive our lives, receive our trust, and it's in the mighty name of Jesus that we individually hand you the keys for whatever that means in our current situation, to trust you, to say, you do the driving, I've screwed it up, to say, God, I don't know how I'm going to get out of this situation, but I trust you to navigate it. Your ways, your truth. Take me, Lord. I'll follow. I'll get in the back seat. I'll let you go. But I want to be where you're at. This morning, if you're here, if you're here and you are wondering, If that's really possible or not, God's only requirement of you is that you come down right now and you let him stay. There are others of you right now who are right where you need to be with Jesus Christ in your life. But there are people in your family and in your household that have come to mind today That are struggling with this reality and I encourage you as we exalt the name of Jesus right now that you speak the name of Jesus over those people, over those situations as you utter prayers to God, just spirit to spirit right now with him. If you come today and you want someone to pray with you, there's room for you in the back of the next steps area, I'll be right up here. If you come today and you want to receive Jesus Christ, the Savior and Lord of your life, hand him the keys, then you come and let's do that now. You want to be part of this family, not part of a crowd, but you want to be known and you want to be encouraged in the truth and you want to encourage other people, then you come and take that next step. God, we speak Jesus right now over this moment and over these decisions.